we, uh, we are working on the other building, the skating rink, and we, uh, we're going to have some pictures for you in the weeks to come, just kind of show you what's been going on. The walls are, are 98% framed in, and um, we probably have uh, not quite 50% of the, the electrical wire pulled. And so what we're going to be doing this week is finishing out some of the electrical stuff. The cool thing that has happened is we put in application with the volunteer Christian builders. It's um, Christian retirees that go around and they help folks build. And so I have talked to the, uh, one of the area coordinators. They are definitely coming. We're not sure when they're coming. He's got two different groups that he's praying about. He's going to meet me uh, two weeks from yesterday. I'm going to show him the whole project. And they are either coming in two to three weeks or in six weeks. I'm praying they come in two to three weeks because they will do all the sheetrock for us. They'll hang it. They'll do most of the, the yeah, 400 sheets of sheetrock is what we're putting up. So they will hang it. They'll do most of the tape and bed, um, depending on how many people they have come. So the reason I wanted to tell you that is not just, you know, first of all, to say, God, you are incredible because they are about six months waiting period, usually to get the volunteer Christian builders to come. I just called him up and said, dude, we're in, in desperate need of some help. And he, he said, send me your application. We did. We've been praying. So God is, is awesome that he's already provided that. Um, the other thing that I want you to do is I want you to continue to be praying because what that means is if they come in two to three weeks, we have to be ready for them. Everything has to be done, so all they come and do is, is slap up the sheetrock. And, oh, and, and what we do, they come totally free. We pay for some hookups for their RVs. They stay and they'll work um, five days. And what, what we, our requirement, other than the RV hookups, is we have to feed them lunch, which is sandwich, salad, soup, stuff like that, and a hot dinner. So I figure for a week's worth of labor and, and uh, hanging all that sheetrock, I think that is a cheap deal um, for us. So we'll be, we'll be letting you know more about that uh, as we go ahead. But what I wanted us to do is I just, wanted, I just want to stop as a church and pray for the next few seconds for what God is doing at that building and for what God is going to allow us to do when we get in that building. And let's pray specifically for these volunteer Christian builders that God will move in their heart and they come in two to three weeks. If they come in two to three weeks, we could conceivably be in our new building by Easter, which, again, would have to be a, an act of God. And so we would just sit back and be in awe of what God has done. So um, I just want to take a moment and collectively, uh, just silently but collectively, Let's lift our voices to God and let's pray for this whole project, for safety, for provision, um, that God will continue. Uh, just amazing things. I, I don't have time to tell you today everything that's happened, but just amazing things are going on. And so let's just thank God and then let's pray that He will continue to provide. So you just pray silently for a few seconds and then I'll voice a prayer out loud. Father, when I, when I just consider the fact that we own this building, I'm blown away. Um, a year ago, we were praying about another building, and, and that door was closed, and, and it, seemed like, it seemed like, God, you weren't hearing our prayer. 
when all the time you had something better for us. And so I'm grateful that you didn't answer our prayer a year ago to give us the other building. This is, this is so much better for our needs, and you knew that. And God, I just want to praise you for what you've done, and I want to praise you for what you're going to do. And I ask God that you just anoint that place now and that you protect everyone. Thank you that we've not had any serious injuries because we're kind of dumb and we do some dumb things and we could have been hurt, but you've protected us. And I pray for the volunteer Christian builders. God, it's so cool to me um, that these folks are using the skills you gave them years ago to go around and help people. And uh, I want to be just as much a blessing to them as they are to us. And so, God, we just ask that you continue to work out the schedule stuff and that you do things that we would not believe if you told us now. You do things that are so much greater than what we can imagine. And, and to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we think or ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I get kind of excited when I think about that. Everybody that walks in the building like, man, you've made so much progress. And I'm like, dude, I'm here every day and I don't feel like we've done anything. You know, everybody that comes in, oh, we're so excited. And I'm like, I wish I could see what you see because I'm tired. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to get in the building and we're going to celebrate for about three weeks and then I'm going on vacation um, <laughs> far, far away. So anyway, um, and, and in fact, it kind of makes me think about uh, back in October, Janie and I got to go on a cruise we saved money like crazy so we could go on a cruise. It's our favorite vacation. This was the fourth time we gotten to go. And, and you know, I, we're, we've gotten to be cruise snobs. Um, I don't say that with a lot of pride. I'm just telling you like it is. Uh, because, you know, first-timers get excited about stuff, but we've been on different ships, different cruise lines, and so we're very particular about things. This is the first cruise that we've gone on that some of my family members haven't gone on. Specifically, my mom and my dad have been on every cruise that we've been on. So the evening meals are the best meals of the day. And the evening meals is when you do formal nights and on a five-day cruise, which is what we just went on. You only have one formal night, and so you get all dressed up, and, and you go, and you just have this incredible food. But Janie and I, because we didn't have any family members, and because we're kind of cruise snobs, we didn't want to meet anyone. We wanted, because we really like each other and we really like dating and hanging out, and we, we would have been perfectly content for, if we were to sit at a table for two and never meet any of the other 2,000 people on the ship. That would have been great by us. And uh, the problem was, when we got there, this particular ship we'd never been on before, when we got there, they only had tables for six. Now, we could have chosen to go to the casual buffet where, you know, you have to push your tray down. It's kind of like a... a Piccadilly or something like that, where you go through and, you know, you just put... But we're like, you know, no, we paid money. We want someone bringing our food to us. And so, uh, we're snobs, I told you that. So we decide, the first night, you know, we get dressed up. and I mean, we are like kids with a bad attitude. We're trudging down to the cafeteria, going to sit with our uninvited guests at our table, you know, because it's assigned seating at night. You don't have an option. They tell you where to sit. You come in and you say which table you're at, and they walk you and they sit you down. And so we come and we sit down at this table for six, and uh, they're, they're at our table, are, are four other people. Two of them, one, one guy's a minister and his wife, so we have nothing in common with them. Um, and then the other guy, the, well, there's another couple, they, they are celebrating their 50th anniversary on this trip. 
And uh, his name was Tommy and hers was Sylvia. So Janie and I sit directly across from, from Tommy and Sylvia. And um, if you had been in the, in the Galveston shipping terminal, which was not created for cruise traffic, let me just tell you that, because you get in this room about this size with 2,000 people and you are like cattle and you have this little lane not even wide enough for you to walk through and you do this for four hours it took us to get on our ship. Because our ship was late getting back in, and so, oh, it was just terrible. Now, if you had gone around in that, in that cruise terminal with all of us cattle, <laughs> you would not have put us together with this couple. Now, I just want to show you a picture. We've got a picture of, of us sitting at the table. There's Janie and me. And right across the table, here's, here's Tommy and Sylvia. Now, you have to get your picture made before you get on the ship because it's a safety thing. So when you come back and you slide your little card in, your picture... Uh, comes up on the screen and this dude who doesn't speak English and, and you know, will probably zap you if you look at him crossways, he's looking at your picture and, and making sure it's you before you get on the ship. If you had been the ones to take the pictures and matched up people at the tables, there's no way you would have put us together. Tommy, leave that, leave that up there, Tommy is, is a semi-retired guy. I say semi-retired because he works at a golf course, repairs anything that moves, and he plays golf every day of his life. He hates cruises, <laughs> and his wife Sylvia talked him into going on this cruise for their 50th anniversary. So who in their right mind would put a retired military guy who plays golf and fixes stuff with a balding white pastor of a non-traditional church? Tommy doesn't even go to church. His wife is a Catholic, but he doesn't go because he doesn't see any use for it. Who in their right mind would have stuck us right across from each other? But a strange... Yeah, God, that's exactly right. God has a sense of humor and He knows my attitude and He's always putting me in my place. So over the course of, of four nights, cause, because our ship was so jacked up getting back late, one of, the, one of the motors wasn't running right. We're real confident getting on this ship going out into rough seas. One of the motors wasn't running right. It's late getting back in. So the first night, we don't even get to eat at our assigned table. We're just all over the place. So four nights we spend with Tommy and Sylvia we go to dinner with a thousand other people at 6.15 p.m. And the only two people I can tell you... I can't even tell you the minister and his wife's name because we never called them the right names. They reminded us of some former folks that we worked with. So we always called them their names and that's the only... I, I have no idea what their name was. Um, but Tommy and Sylvia sat across from us. And we didn't do any of the same things on the entire ship. When we got to Cozumel, they went on a submarine. Well, dude, that was like way out of my price range. Janie and I get a Jeep and we drive around the island. Um, no, we never saw them any time but at night because we would go do our activities, they would go there. One night there was a show and it was a country and western extravaganza. Hee-haw! And they said, they said, are y'all going? We're like, no. And like, why? And we said, we're not really country and western type people. And they're like, oh, we can't wait. So they go to it. And of course the next night, you should have come. You know, it was great. Janie and I went up and sat on deck and, you know, just had a good time talking to each other instead of... Yeah, and I'm not a... If you like country and western music, that yay, I'm a rock and roll guy. It's got to have some beat. Anyway, something strange happened over the course of four nights spending two hours together every night. You know what that was? We became friends. And, and me and Tommy laughed about stuff. I mean, the first night I'm like, so, Tommy, you ever been on a cruise before? Nope. I said, Tommy, you ever going to go on a cruise again? Nope. And I'm like, dude, why are you here? She made me. And I'm like, wow. About the, about the fourth night, 
he's kind of loosening up. And, uh, and I'm like, so, Tommy, you going to go on another one? I don't know, maybe. This, <laughs> what happened was our hearts got connected simply because we spent time together. And uh, the last night, this guy who shows no emotion other than occasionally laughing, and we, he reminded me so much of my dad because we'd be over here talking, you know, everybody else is at the table, we'd say stuff, laughing, everybody's like, what's going on? Nothing, you know. He, he reminded me of my dad. The last night, we, after we have dessert, and I say that, Tommy doesn't like dessert. He, he, uh, he ordered um, shrimp cocktail every night for his appetizer and for dessert because he doesn't like sweet stuff. So anyway, the rest of us had dessert. Tommy had his, his shrimp cocktail. The last night, we're all taking pictures. We're hugging, and, and every day we had shared stories and shared what we'd done, and, and Tommy kind of stands there, this guy, 70-something years old, and he kind of he drops his head and, you know, shuffles. And, and he goes, I want to tell you something. He goes, you made this trip fun for me. Aww. Yeah, dude, I was like... <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and he goes, thank you. So me and Tommy get this big old bear hug in the middle of the ship, and, and I, said, I said, man, you made it fun for us too. Now, had you asked us beforehand if that's what we would remember about the trip? Because we, Jane, Jane and I like each other. We can never have enough time. To, we like hanging out together. And we can go and play and just have fun together. And so I, I, I'm not saying I don't remember those things because I can tell you all the stuff Janie and I did together. But when we think about that trip, the first people that come to mind are Tommy and Sylvia. And I never would have guessed that if you'd have told me ahead of time. And if they were to call us up and go, hey, let's go on a trip, I'd go wherever they wanted to go because we had so much fun for them. They're old enough to be our parents. In fact, they have children our age and they were telling us about their grandkids and all this stuff and we had so much fun, but it's simply because we spent time with them. And, you know, there's a, there's a thousand other people in the restaurant. There's 2,000 people on the boat, but, you know, you got early seating and late seating. And I can't even tell you the people next to us. I can't even tell you what they look like. Your, your, your tables are real close. We took pictures of them. You know, they'd say, hey, take a picture. I have no idea what their names were, but Tommy and Sylvia are my friends. And, and it kind of reminds me of our, of our journey of life. Life is a journey. And you have a choice about whether you go on that journey by yourself or whether you connect with other people. And I'm just going to tell you, God wired you to connect with other people. So if you're living a lonely, isolated life, it is because you have chosen to live a lonely, isolated life and God has provided an antidote for you and the antidote is the local church, but you have to choose to spend time with other people and the amazing thing that happens is your heart begins to connect with other people. So if you've ever asked the question, what does God want from me? I want to answer that question for you today. If you have your listening guides, we're going to look at a couple of things very quickly. And then we're going to eat some really good food together. Because any journey needs good food. Um, if you've asked, what does God want from you? Here's what God wants. God wants you to invest your life in others. Now, when you invest in something, does, does an investment happen by accident? I never have gotten my money into the stock market accidentally. I've never thrown it out the window and had money wind up at the bank. You know, when I invest in something, I make a choice 
to invest in something. So when, when God wants you to invest in someone's life, this is a choice that you have to make. And God specifically wants you to invest your life in two different groups. First group is a local church. A local church. If you are a Christian and don't belong to a local church, you are an orphan. And there is no such thing in the Bible as an orphan. When you become a part of God's family, God's universal family, He always wants you to connect to a local church. And when you read the Bible, 99% of the time when it says church, it's talking about a local fellowship of believers and God expects you to be a member of a local church. So that's the first group. The second group that God wants you to invest your life in is a small group. Now, some of you are like, when are you ever going to quit talking about small groups? And I'll tell you when. When you're all in one. If you want me to quit preaching about this, everybody join today, and you don't have to hear about it until we get new people and they're not in, and we'll start over. There's a reason for that. You can fellowship in a crowd this size. I mean, you can worship in a crowd this size, but you can't fellowship. Because if you think about it, our church is kind of like the ship that I was on. If you'll notice, and, and it's funny because Melinda said they were going to try something different today because they usually sit in the same place. And when I go home, you know, I'll think about where all of you were. And most of you sit in the same place week after week after week. And, and it's weird. Sometimes you ought to just switch, first of all, to jack with me because that's kind of fun. But you ought to switch because it gives you a different perspective. When you're always in the same seat, you get this, this tunnel vision. And what happens is you can talk to people around you. We try to force you every week to say hi to at least one other person. You know, whether you're arguing about the Super Bowl and whatever, we try to get you to connect with folks because we know that if your lives ever connect, not only are you going to stick with the local church, but God is going to enable you to do life better. Because what's going to happen is you walk in, you talk to the people on one side of the church, you never even talk to the people on the other side of the church. One of my goals is to shake hands with every one of you who comes in here, and sometimes some of you sneak by, but I can't do it every week. The larger we get, the harder it is. And, and so what we need is these, these groups of people that are looking out for one another, that their hearts are connected, and you do life together. That's what God intends for us to do. Now, what seems evident is that um, Christians don't want to hear more teaching Christians want to talk about the teaching. And so we're trying to set up small groups to accomplish that task. Um, week after week, Christians that I know that want to go deeper in their relationship with God want a safe place where they can share their heart with other people. But anytime you get above a group of about 10 to 12 people, that can never happen. Because what happens? You get in a large group. We've got enough large personalities in this room, four or five, that if we were to open up and have discussion, they would dominate the discussion. And that happens in a group that's larger than 10 or 12. The, the quiet people, my wife, will never say a word if she gets into a large group. But you get her in a group of five or six people and, and just throw out some questions, she'll start talking. And it's amazing people listen to her because they have seen this life that she lives, that she's a servant, that she's a real person. And when she speaks, people listen. And I'm like, dude, keep going. Talk more. And she's like, oh, I don't like to talk. I said, but it's so good when you do. But that doesn't happen. We're not designed in this worship service to have fellowship. We're designed to come and get some teaching and some worship together. But then we design our church so that when you get in that small group, you have somebody that you can talk to and you can relate to and you can uh, share your heart with. 
We believe that life change happens best in small groups, and that's the way we design it. The best thing you can do to take your relationship with God to a deeper level is to get into a safe place with a handful of people, take your personal, private Christian life, and make it public with a safe group of people. And and I say safe because we take that seriously. If what happens in your small group comes out and somebody else tells me about it, I'll, I'll confront them because that should never happen. Now, if you've got stuff that, th- that somebody says, oh, this is great, and you can tell everybody about it, then, then I don't have a problem with that. But if someone shares a big concern, don't you dare come to me and say, oh, I have a prayer concern. That's gossip. That's gossip. And if we're going to be a safe place, you've got to keep that stuff there. So you need a safe place, and that's a small group where you can share your heart and you can talk about what's going on in your life. God never intended for us to be alone. He wants us to do life with others. So the way to grow is to get in a group and share what God's doing in your life. Now, we teach all the time that your relationship with God is personal, but God never intended for it to be private. And here's why. You think about your experience with church, and I honestly believe, I honestly believe that, that we've not created the right environments because in your experience, if a man has a problem, where's he going to go to talk about it? If a man's relationships are falling apart, where does he go to talk about that? The bar? I mean, I'm just being totally honest here. Where are you going to go that it's safe? The only reason it's safe there is because they're inebriated and they can't remember it. But, but where does he go? If his marriage is falling apart, where does a man go? If his teenager checks out of reality and he has no clue how to relate to that teenager, where does a man go? If his wife suddenly develops cancer, if he develops cancer, if his job, if he loses his job, where does a man go to get insight and to get somebody to, to help him with that problem? In Jesus' day, when Jesus established the church, you know where the men and women went? They went to church. But you called it church in Jesus' day? They didn't have buildings to go to. If a man and a woman were going to go to church, they went to somebody's house. And that's where they did life deeply together. And that's what small groups are designed to do. The Christian life is intensely personal, but it was never intended to be private. The New Testament teaches us that we're supposed to take our private, personal walk with Christ and bring that out into the public. We're supposed to live out loud. And I don't mean a fanatic, because I'm not going to go out and hold up this sign, I'm a believer in Jesus, follow me to heaven. You know, I'm not going to do that. But God wants us to to let people know that we do have a Savior and that we do have some standards that we are going to follow. God wants us to be open, honest, and consistently doing life with a small group of people. And when I think back about nine years, nine years Janie and I have been doing small groups, and what I remember is not the earth-shattering Bible study. I don't remember, you know, particular deep spiritual insights that someone gives. The, the things I remember are the prayer times. When, when somebody... I'll tell you one. We were, in a, we were in a house, and I'm not going to tell you which one. We were in a house, and I had never heard the man pray before. And quite honestly, I didn't expect him to pray. And so we just we shared all our prayer concerns after we'd done our Bible study, and this guy started praying. It was simple, it was direct, and it was one of the most holy prayers I have ever heard in my life. 
I almost couldn't speak when he shared. And I thought, that has to be from you, God, that he prayed out loud. I remember riding four-wheelers with my small group. I remember going fishing. I remember things like that. We have Bible study where we, where we have spiritual nourishment, but the things you're going to remember most are the relationships because when you spend time with people on a consistent basis, this strange thing is going to happen. Your hearts are going to get connected and they're going to become family. And I'm just going to tell you, one of, one of my experiences with small group was several years ago, Janie uh, was pregnant with our fourth child and you're doing the math and you realize we don't have four children. Um, I remember when she came to tell me that she had lost the child. And we were devastated. And I remember one morning, I'm, I'm holding Rachel, and she was three, I think, at the time. Hannah was a baby. Caleb would have been five. And, you know, we're just kind of reeling because, you know, you get set for this new child, and then, then you lose the child. And, and uh, I'm just... I was tired, and I don't even remember what I, It was a Saturday morning, and I'm holding Rachel in my arms trying to brush my teeth, you know, because you can't do anything by yourself when you've got infants. And so I'm holding her, I'm brushing my teeth, and I hear some commotion outside. It, lawnmowers are going, and, and there's trucks pulling up, and, and I go and I open up the window. Three of my best friends are raking my leaves. They didn't have a clue how to come up and put their arm around me and say, We're sorry. So they did what they knew to do. They were, they were guys who worked in the yard. And they spent about six hours cleaning up my yard that day just because they wanted me to know that, that they loved me. Now, if you choose to go through life alone, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at the church. Because I'm going to tell you, you are going to have tough times. Jesus said you will have trouble. And I'm just going to ask you, do you want to go through life alone or do you want to have a group of people that when you have problems, they will come and rake your leaves? They'll come and you know, service your car. The cars have broken down. Guys have come and pulled, you know, pulled my car. Guys have fixed my car when I didn't have enough money to take it to the mechanic because they were just trying to help me through life. Do you want that or do you want to be alone? The choice is yours. seems like a no-brainer to me. Now, um, I just want to, <laughs> I want to share a couple of things with you. First is this, this quote. I want you to look at this quote on the screen. I've come to realize that it's not a question. Do you have that? I guess you don't have that. I've come to realize, there it is, that it's not a question of whether they care, but will I let them care? I've learned that if I'm going to try and live my life alone, I can, but I don't have to. And if I do, it's my fault. Look at this last sentence. I make myself alone by not making myself known. I'm just going to tell you, great things will happen in group. And, uh, and I want to just stop right now, and I want to do a little segment called Mythbusters. Y'all watch that show? We love that show. Mythbusters is great. We're going to bust two myths right now. So I'm going to say the myth, and then you just help me out by saying busted, okay? Because this is already busted, and I'm going to tell you why. So, okay, myth number one. I don't have time. Busted. Let me say it again. I don't have time. Busted. You have time. Here's the truth. You make time for what's important to you. You make time for what's important to you. Ask If you have children, ask your kids what's important to you, and they'll tell you. Because I don't care what you say, your kids are smart enough to figure it out. And they'll tell you, well, Daddy loves this. And they may tell you Daddy loves this more than he loves me because that's where he spends his time. 
I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm just telling you the reality of life is people know that you love equals time. You might as well spell it that way. If you love someone or something, you are going to spend time doing that. Ask your spouse. You may not want to ask your spouse what you love because they will tell you. Um, how many of you have time to watch the Super Bowl tonight? I mean, if you were totally honest, you have. I do not have time to spend four hours watching a game I don't even care about. But you know what I'm doing at 5 o'clock tonight? I'm hosting a Super Bowl party. Because this is this big cultural event. 94 million people will be watching this. And I'm hoping just to get together with, with my new small group. I'm starting a brand new small group. I'm hoping to get with my small group and just to get to know them a little bit. There's no agenda other than spending time together. Um, you have time to do whatever you want to do. Okay, myth number two. You're going to say busted. I want you to do better this time. No one has problems like me. Busted. Here's the truth. Everyone has problems like you. If you see someone and their life looks perfect, it's because you don't know them. I, I read about a lady who was a quadriplegic who was in this group, and they were just kind of sharing you know, their life. So she's, she's wheeled in in the wheelchair and they're sitting around in this group. And when it got to her, she said, I just want to tell you something about problems. She said, I, I'm willing to bet that if every one of us could carry our problems here, lay them down at our feet, go around the circle, and everybody tell what their problems were. She said, I'm willing to bet that at the end, every one of us would choose our own set of problems to take home with us. Everybody has problems. But here is the problem with church. And I'm going to try to do this where all of you can see it. I don't know if you can or not. Most people, this is their life, and they have a problem. All of us have problems, right? You're lying if you say you don't. All of us have problems. But here, here is the problem with most churches. Most folks think they have to go to church and pretend that their life is good because they think if somebody knows I have a problem, this is what they're going to do. They are going to run away from me. So they think that problems cause people to be repelled by us, to reject us. Now, just your experience, not naming any churches, your experience, is this what happens a lot of time? If, if you let somebody know, you have, you have a teenage daughter that gets pregnant. You have somebody that does, goes to jail because they've done drugs. You have somebody, you know, DWI, whatever it is. Most of the time, this is what happens in church, Right? Now, I want to show you something. The way Jesus lived His life, just what you know. You may not know much about Jesus, but you've heard something. This is how Jesus lived His life. He ran toward people who had problems. Right? Is that what you've heard about Jesus? And when the local church is working right, there is nothing like it in the world. The problem is, most local churches aren't working right. There is nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. And when the local church is working right, someone has a problem and they let that out in, in public, this is what the right local church does. Because in James 5.16 it says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and here's the key, so that you may be healed. If you're struggling with the same problems over and over and over again, 
I'm willing to bet you don't have a, a group of people that you are consistently meeting with, that you are consistently confessing your problems to so that they can pray for you. Because the Bible says, confession, prayer, healing. We have a group that meets every Friday night specifically for that. I spent a year in Celebrate Recovery because it's for anybody with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But I'm going to tell you the same thing should happen in our small groups. And if you'll consistently meet with a group of people, you'll find, because problems unite us. We laugh about this because every, every week we have a team meeting where I, talk, I share with them what I'm going to be preaching on and we try to come up with ideas trying to, to, make, to help you remember. And we laugh because the more I tell you how stupid I am, the more you relate to me. And the more you listen because you know that, that I know I haven't figured it out. But I know a God that when I do things His way, my life works. Now, I want to show you a couple more things real quickly and we'll be finished. Some of you are living isolated and defeated lives today. Well, I've just shown you the antidote and it's the local church. Now, let me show you something about God's plan. If you'll get on God's plan and if our small groups will get on God's plan and if our church will connect like we should, let me show you about God's plan. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you a hope, and I'll give you hope and a good future. I want you to circle the words hope. You have this on your listening guide and good future. God says my plans for you are good, <laughs> but a lot of people think, oh, if I totally give my life to God, He's going to make me be like an Amish person. I'm going to have to go to Africa. He's going to make my life miserable. You don't know God. You don't know Jesus who sacrificed His blood for you. You don't understand what love is if you think that God's going to make your life miserable. I want to show you three things about God's plan for your life, and then we'll be finished and we'll have some good food. Number one, God's plan for your life is always bigger than your plan. Always bigger than your plan. You see, your plan is like this big. God's plan is like this big. Whatever plans you have for your life, God's plans are always bigger. Mary and Joseph, they wanted to get married and have a little carpentry business and have kids. God's plan for Mary and Joseph was to change the world. And uh, God said, I want to bless the whole world through you. Now, if you don't get anything else I say today, get this. If you will say to God, whatever you have for me in 2008, God will begin to change your world and then these ripples will go out and, and God will change other parts of the world through you. His plans for you are bigger than your plans. Um, if you'll say, I'm totally available to you, do with me whatever you want to do, that's what Mary and Joseph said, then God will change the world because His plans are always bigger than your plans. Number two, God's plan for your life is harder than your plan. Always harder. And um, that's why so many people bail out on God because it gets hard and they quit. Uh, human beings, you know, we like to take the path of least resistance. I read about this man who was shoveling snow, which is quite appropriate. Uh, Washington State, they got six feet of snow. Highways closed for days. Well, there was a guy that, that was shoveling snow in his driveway, and these two kids come walking up, and they're having their sh snow shovels, and they're like, shovel your driveway, mister? Only two bucks. And the guy kind of stops, and he's puzzled, and he goes, can't you see I'm shoveling my own snow? And they go, yes, sir. 
That's where we get most of our business. Most people start shoveling and it gets too hard and they quit. Shovel your snow? Well, that's what we do in the Christian life. And, and i just got to tell you why. God says it's not going to be easy. In fact, my way is going to be harder. That's because God is worried about your character, not your comfort. There is no way, mark this down, there is no way God is going to remove the problems from your life. Because problems produce character. And God cares about your character more than your comfort. Your character you'll take with you to heaven or wherever you're going beyond the grave. If you're a follower of Christ, your character you take with you to heaven. God's not concerned about your comfort in this life. God says, yes, it's going to be harder. Because if you got everything you ever wanted, you'd be a spoiled brat and no one could live with you. No one could stand being around you. So God is going to mold your character. Lots of people say, oh, I want to be a part of a church that's working right. But then when they have to go through the character building process, they bail. I can't tell you how many times we've wanted to quit. We've gone through some struggles in this church. Gone through times when we, we didn't know where the money to pay bills was going to come from. We've gone through personal rejection. Because when you're the preacher, everybody thinks they're your boss. Everybody. You need to fix this. You need to fix that. You need to do that. Everybody does. And, and in the five and a half years we've been in this church, at least five and a half times we've thought about quitting. Because it's hard. And there's no way I would have chosen to put my wife and my kids through this if I'd known them. But see, God knows that. So God doesn't show you how hard it's going to be. He just says, come follow me. And He says, I'll provide for you if you'll stay with me. The times it's gotten harder when I get my eyes off of God and on my problems. So it's always harder and a lot of people bail. But here's the last thing that I want you to know. God's plan for your life is always more rewarding than your plan. If you can stick it out, God has a reward for you. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No one has ever seen, heard, or even imagined what wonderful things God has ready for those who love Him. Um, I read this verse at almost every funeral I do because I'm trying to paint a picture of what heaven is like for those people who are left behind. No one can even imagine how great heaven is. But I want you to know, Christianity is not the only way... I mean, it's the only way to die, but not only is it the only way to die because that's the only way you get to heaven is by following Jesus. Christianity is also the best way to live. And that's what most people don't understand. There are 7,000 promises in the Bible for people who are followers of Christ. 7,000 promises. And just some of the benefits you get from, from being a Christian. You get peace that surpasses all understanding. So you see somebody who's going through a really tough time and they are peaceful, I guarantee you they've met with God. You get comfort. I mean, the Bible says in, in Psalm 34 that, that God is near to the brokenhearted and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. There are promises for you. You get peace, you get satisfaction, comfort, wisdom. James, it says, if any of you likes wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. Do you need... I need wisdom. If I'm stupid, it's because I haven't asked God. I guess y'all don't need that. But, but I do, so y'all pray for me that I'll get wisdom. But there's something else that every one of you here can tap into, and that's a new family. Some of you can't love the family that you're in now because you're too hurt by the family that you've grown up with or that you lived with in a marriage or that you suffered through. God provides a new family through the local church. And uh, 
just so we're clear, I'm not talking about you trade in the spouse you now have for a new one. That's not where I'm going. I just mean if you didn't have a good dad, you can get a new dad. If you didn't have a good mom, you can get a new mom. If you need some new brothers and sisters, this, that's what the local church is about. And uh, if, you will, if you'll hang out with the right people, God will bless you. Because here's what, here's what generally happens. If you, if you hang out with people who are unfaithful to their marriage, you know what you're going to be tempted to do? Be unfaithful to your marriage. If you hang out with people who are depressed all the time, you're going to be tempted to become depressed, to focus on problems instead of solutions to problems. Um, you become like your friends. So if you want to change the tra- trajectory of your life, it means you need to get a new family. You need to get a new set of friends. And where does this set of friends thrive? In church and specifically in small groups because that's where you can be known and where others can know you. Now, how do you know if you are not living God's plan? Three very simple tests that you can do right now as we finish up. Three characteristics that you'll have in your life that will tell you, I am not living God's plan for my life. The first one is fatigue. Are you worn out? That's a sign. Here's your sign. If, you are, if you're worn out, that means you are doing some things that God never intended for you to do. You are cramming too much into that 24-hour period, and that is not the, God, the life that God wants you to live. So that's your, that, there's your sign. If you um, are constantly frustrated, here's your sign that you are not living the plan that God has for you. Now, like I said, God's going to bring problems... And He's going to test you, but the Bible promises that He will never, never test you beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, He'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So God's going to allow... God doesn't test you. I mean, God doesn't tempt you. He will test you. Satan tempts you. But God will always give you the strength to endure, no matter what's going on in your life. The third thing is fear. If you're afraid, or let's just say worry. How many of you know how to worry? If you know how to worry, you know how to worship. Because all worry is, is is recycling whatever your problem is over and over, thinking about it constantly, um, uh, meditating on your problem. If you can shift the focus from your problem to God, that's when it becomes worship. And that's when the promises of God begin to be evident in your life. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Because I can tell you, when I'm, when I'm worrying is when my eyes are off God. When I'm at peace, I've met with God and I'm like, oh, you are so much bigger, God. And I struggle with this whole building thing. There are many times I wake up 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm just like, we are never finishing. Just take me now. And then when I get up and I read my Bible and I pray, and then out of the blue we get a call from the volunteer Christian builders. Okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Forgive me, because you are so much bigger. Now, here's what I want you to do with your listening guides. I mean, uh, with your registration cards. Um, Read this verse with me, and then I'm going to have you do something. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I can tell you what God wants from you in 2008. He wants you to be a seeker. How do you seek God? Get hooked up to a local church. Get hooked up in a small group. And God will help you grow. Now, on your cards, fill that out on the front side and then turn it over on the back. 
And I want you to write a couple of things down. This is your prayer. So if you're willing to pray this, God, help me connect to you. And God, help me connect to others. Before we um, dismiss, um, we're going to have kind of a little, uh, another symbol about how to overcome loneliness. Amanda Bell, come sit up here, please. All right, come on, come on. Sit right there. Love me tender. Love me sweet, never let me go. You have.